This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I am not Rod Serling, but I am a celebrity impersonator, and you are about to enter a dimension. Not of Kardashians or reality TV, but of nostalgia, of television programs and motion pictures that have transcended the passage of time. That's the sign we'll step ahead. Your next stop, Classic TV and Film Podcast. I'm Ed Gross, and this is TV Retrovision, the podcast where we celebrate all our yesterdays, today and tomorrow. From pretty much the time she arrived on the scene, actress and singer Cheryl Ladd has been known as somebody who doesn't stand still. She exploded in the public consciousness with Charlie's Angels in 1977 and went on from that phenomenon to starring in numerous TV movies, recording albums, hitting the Broadway stage, appearing on the big screen, and embracing various business ventures. But as significant as all of that is, let no one forget that 2020 marked the 50th anniversary of the Saturday morning cartoon Josie and the Pussycats, on which she provided her singing voice for the character of Melody. Where else could we start our conversation except for that? Okay, well, first of all, you know, there's a lot of things to talk about, but the most important thing, obviously, is the 50th anniversary of Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) (laughs) That is this year. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I was a singing voice of Melody, as you know. Um, It was my very first job. I was 19 when I arrived in Los Angeles. It was the very first job I got. Actually, one of my first auditions. So it was wonderful for me because I got an apartment with one of the gals that that wrote some of the music. And we became friends. So we got an apartment together. And within six months of arriving in L.A., I had a used Mustang car an apartment with some girlfriends and $3,000 in the bank. And I'm driving down Sunset Boulevard going, wow, it doesn't it. get any better than this. <laughs> but it does. It does, yes. It does. But the singing was, you know, obviously that was your first thing. That was a very important part of your life back then, right? Yes, singing? that's how I got to California. I was singing with the band. Okay. And we were kind of a live jukebox. We did everything from jazz to country western music and rock and roll and everything in between. So that reached a point, obviously, where that changed. But, yes. Okay. Um, let's flash forward now, because I know, obviously, the thing you're very passionate about is the result, the aftermath of your cataract surgery. Yes. I'd love to hear about it. And let's tell people how it's impacted you. Well, you know, as you age, as we all know, as we age, our eyes are not what they used to be. And at first I needed readers um, to, to really see when I was reading. And, and then I needed, you know, my eyes were deteriorating. So then I needed, uh, prescription lenses and, and things. And then as I got older, <clears throat> I hate that word. As I got yeah, older, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, as I got older, uh, I was really not seeing very well at night. I, the, The lights and the the headlights coming at me were very blurry. I couldn't really gauge how far away the cars were from me. And I started to get really insecure about driving at night. Well, as it turns out, I had cataracts and they were were progressing and they were only going to get worse. And the doctor suggested that I have cataract surgery and uh, that talked to me about uh, the lenses that they had. And I just feel so grateful that I got cataracts at this time because they have, for the first time, a uh, panoptics lens that has trifocal. So you can 
thread a needle, read, do all those things. You can look at your computer. You can look halfway across the room and you can see miles down the road. So it, it really gives you this panoptics lens, gives you your eyes that you had as a child. It's unbelievable. Not only that, when I had the cataracts, I had no, because they happened so gradually, um, I had no idea that my world was becoming sepia toned. I was, everything was kind of muddy and, you know, didn't, the, the reason I'm saying that I didn't know it is when I got my first lens in, I opened my eye and went, whoa. <laughs> it's like it getting was, a new prescription, right? It's like suddenly it's like, oh. Why even not? better. It was like stepping into Oz. Yeah. All of a sudden the colors were bright. The lights were bright. The blues were blue. And I had been living in this sepia world. I, it was just remarkable. I was so excited. I jumped up and hugged the doctor <laughs> and couldn't wait for my second eye to be done. And the surgery is very simple. Seven minutes, I think, for yeah. the surgery itself. And the recovery is really easy. The only thing you can't do for a week or so is to bend over because you don't want to put pressure on your eye. And then you do a bunch of eye drops to keep it moist and keep it so it doesn't get infected and keep it. And you do that for a while. And that's it. And then you have the eyes of a 12-year-old again. Now, what does, besides the fact you're seeing the world more clearly, yes. what impact does that have on you? Having those sort of, I mean, young eyes again, yes. so to speak. I mean, what sort well, of Well, you know what? I feel, I feel really optimistic about the future now. And, and truly, when I was having to get glasses all the time and redo the glasses, and, and as I said, I had this sepia view, which I didn't, wasn't even aware of, except I just wasn't seeing as well. Right. And then when I was afraid to drive, because I've been go, go, go all my life. I, you know, kind of one of these just go after it, fearless kind of jump in people. And for me to feel insecure about driving really had me depressed. I mean, I was really like, oh man, I'm getting old now. I don't want to drive at night. And ah, my life is becoming smaller. Yeah. And as soon as I had had the operation, my view of the future is optimistic. I, I feel great. I can drive at night. I, I, I don't have to change my lifestyle or make my life smaller. My life is big and bright and beautiful again. And that's the truth. So what's been, so what has been, I know the, uh, the, the internal feeling has obviously changed and you're not feeling that aging feeling, which, you know, we'll go through, yes. uh, but, <laughs> but so, so what has, what, how have you embraced life now? more than you had been maybe. Well, I again, if I want to go somewhere at night, I hop in the car and I oh, go. Okay. I don't worry about it. All my eyesight is better. I, I'm, I get out in the backyard with the grandchildren and throw the ball and run around like a, like a fool and have fun. And I, I, don't, I don't feel like there are barriers now. And okay. when my eyesight was getting so bad, I really... My, as I said, my world felt like it was getting a lot smaller. And now the, I'm in a big, bright, beautiful world again, and that's unbelievable. And if I would just say that there, uh, there's a website you can go to, to called mycataracts.com. If you, any of you out there listening are, are having issues with your eyes and perhaps the doctor says that you're, you're getting cataracts, don't freak out because it's actually a wonderful thing um, because they will help you see again and get your life back again. Right. And seeing is very important. I've realized yes. that. <laughs> it sure is. You know, you've also got, uh, you know, it's so funny. It's like you've done so much in your life, but now you've got the Cheryl Ed Signature Homes. Yes. Now, what's that about? Because, again, that's so interesting to see you branching off in this what seems like an entirely different direction. Well, 
my husband and I were going to be married 40 years uh, in January. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we were dating, it we were just meant for each other because he loved houses and architecture and things like that. And so did I. So many of our dates were on a Sunday afternoon all throughout Beverly Hills and Bel Air. We'd go to open houses and look at houses because we loved houses. And uh, and both of us wanted to build a house someday. And then um, we read together all the time. He was an avid reader. I was an avid reader. So we had these two weird things in common that we both understood totally. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, we, you know, we were kind of pals right away and, and enjoyed doing a lot of weird things that some people go, what do you mean? You're going to spend the afternoon reading? <laughs> really? It's <laughs> an activity. <laughs> yeah. And, and we liked it. So anyway, um, we eventually, uh, we remodeled the first house that we owned twice. And then we moved out of Los Angeles to the San Inez Valley up north and in, in inland from Santa Barbara. And we bought a beautiful 22-acre promontory lot and 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 uh, land around it could see all the coastal mountains it was the perfect place and my husband had drawn a, a, a maybe someday house floor floor plan and we we knew the kind of kind of italian villa house that we wanted to build someday mm. so we got to build that beautiful house on that lot and that was it. The die was cast. We go, oh, we like starting from scratch. We don't like to remodel. <laughs> we're going to, uh, and we were always interested. And he's always dabbling about floor plans and flow and heights and windows and light. And so we, when I went to Cal- um, Texas to visit my sister often, and then my mother moved to Texas, we went there more often. often and we bought a lot in this beautiful community there. And we built our house there. And we got so much great response about the house that we built. We thought, you know, maybe we should build some houses for other people. That might be fun. And uh, so we started Cheryl Ed Signature Homes, and we built a spec house in a beautiful community called Cordillera Ranch. Mm-hmm. And uh, that sold, and we enjoyed that. So, yeah, we're just tiptoeing into kind of a new adventure. And we, as I said, we've, we've loved houses for a long time. Very good, you know. You know, earlier when we started the conversation, we were talking about sort of feeling younger and getting older and, and all that. I'm wondering in the aftermath of the whole Me Too movement, I'm curious how you know, ageism has always been a problem in Hollywood, especially for women. Yes, as, as, indeed. You know, I mean, and that's been forever, that mm-hmm. problem. What's changed? I mean, granted, the sexual harassment part, now that's being dealt with. What about opportunities for women now? Has that changed in the aftermath of all So of that? many more opportunities. So many more women writers writing for women. So many more men writing good things for women. It's really interesting how that has kind of exploded with all the availability of all the networks and, and you know, Netflix and all, all, all of the places now that need product. And the audience for uh, very strong women uh, movies is there and it's been waiting to, yeah. to have more voice. And uh, I'm just really, the, I like being this age. I'm enjoying my craft far more now than, than when I was on Charlie's Angels. I, because I was a young woman, I had a child at home. I had, you know, and, and it was wonderful and it was a rocket ship for me and I'm grateful for it. But I must say that um, growing and learning my craft over the cor- craft over the course of these many years and enjoying 
my work even more because the depth of the characters is challenging. I mean, for for instance, um, Unforgettable. I played Catherine Heigl's mother in that film with Rosario, Rosario Dawson and Catherine Heigl, and I played her very disturbed mother. And there was a level of perfectionism that she insisted upon, not only for her daughter, but for herself at all times. And it was demented. I mean, she didn't realize the damage she was doing to her daughter. So when you get to wrap your brain around who this woman is and how she got there and, and someone said, wow, she was, she was a tough cookie that I said, yes, but they said, how did you get into that character? I said, because to me, that woman's, she looked like a softy compared to her mother. Because that sort of raising and that sort of control um, is is often very generational. And it's abusive and no one, they don't think so. They think they're being wonderful mothers. Yes. So that gave you an opportunity to play something. Yeah, real, really kind of dark and demented and yet understandable. Right. Absolutely. Ah, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. And you mentioned also the fact that streaming services and all that, it seems like, you know, people are always talking now about the fragmentation of television, mm-hmm. that, you know, the audience like, oh, if we had this rating back in the day, it would be amazing, you know, but they, now they have this little tiny yes. audience. But that's the way it is. But I think it seems to have opened up a lot more opportunities, like the Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin uh-huh. show, yes. uh, the Kaminsky Method with Michael Douglas and, yes. and Alan Arkin. Do you find that too, that that there are becoming more opportunities like that? Many more opportunities. Absolutely. It's wonderful. And as I said, you know, uh, there are a lot of actresses that were beautiful, incredible actresses in the 30s and 40s. And as soon as they turned 39, they were brushed aside and there wasn't anything for them. And And how difficult that must have been to have that enormous talent and beauty, and you just weren't perfect anymore, so nobody regarded you as box so office. Crazy. It's crazy when you think of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, I, again, we live in wonderful times uh, for art and acting and a lot of great women roles. One of the things about Charlie's Angels that when I look back on it now, because I have experienced life with fans of Charlie's Angels, generationally, mm. many of them, and um, I go places and there's a woman sergeant, police sergeant, who comes up to me and says, I wouldn't have been had this job. I wouldn't have been a police officer. I wouldn't be this sergeant without Charlie's Angels. You girls inspired all of us and women firefighters and doctors and and all all kinds of women who who felt so inspired by those three angels, you know, that's that's amazing. Seriously, to have that. it's a wonderful thing. It's it was such a I just feel I, I feel proud that it had an impact for women that was just so virulent in its joyful. I can be who I want to be. And that was a wonderful thing about my parents. I, I will give my parents such credit because the only thing they asked of us was behave yourself. Don't get in trouble. 
take your school, work seriously, and be yourself. Be who you are. They, my parents never told me I could be or not be anything. You be, you be you. And to get that advice from your parents or that feeling from your parents that whoever you wanted to be was okay with them. Not enough of that. Yeah. Seriously. That was a wonderful gift. Yeah. And, con- and you know, I was a really creative person in a little towny, tiny town in South Dakota. I was going to have very limited opportunities there. And, uh, you know, I said that when we graduated from high school, my sister, who was a couple of years older, she was going to marry her high school sweetheart. And they're still married. And mm-hmm. it that was her. That's who she was. And she when my mother said, what do you want for your graduation? She said, I want a hope chest because I'm going to have a family and I want to have a beautiful home and nice things. And I said, great. And so when I was graduating from high school, my mother asked me what I wanted for graduation. And I said, luggage. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. leaving. <laughs> I can't I can't be me here. I, right. my The me I see me being. Uh, there's no work for me here in South Dakota. I have to go either to New York or California. And I was singing with the band, so we ended up in California. And the rest is history. It is history. Uh, you brought up the point uh, about Charlie's Angels inspiring people and that sort of thing. It's very, it's ironic in one way, in the sense of that show became the poster child of Jiggle TV in the yes. 70s. Yes. Right? Isn't it interesting how intimidated men in the press and yeah. men in general were by the show because that they had to make it that right to make it uh, put it down in some way yeah i mean okay we were young women who wore bathing suits and that that was part of the draw but they missed the whole other part mm-hmm. the the part of the the Free empowering women. yeah the empowering and and highly intelligent women women who had to act on their feet and make quick decisions and look after each other i mean i i always say we were like three grown-up Girl Scouts, but that was a good, powerful image for young women. And I, as I said, I, I didn't realize how powerful it was for women to kind of break out and be the person they wanted to be and that it was inspirational to yeah. so many young women. Which you wouldn't fabulous. in the middle of it, though. You, no. You know, obviously, you couldn't. No, I was just working hard and trying right. to get home to my two-year-old. Right. So... Yes. What was it? I always wondered, like, it's one thing for like when Farrah was on the first season and the show exploded the way it did. You come in in the middle of a storm, basically, this media. So for someone who was like just really breaking in, what was it like to suddenly be thrust into that? Well, I I always say I was a seven year overnight success because I had been in, in L.A. and working hard at my craft and going to acting class and doing smaller parts and getting better and better parts along the way. And I had worked for Aaron and a couple of things. So when Farrell was leaving, he called me and said, Cheryl, I want you to I want you to replace Farrell. I want you to come in and, and be on the show. And I said, oh, thank you. But um, no, thank you. I, I appreciate it. But no. And. and I'm sure he was quite upset with me because he had given me work before and he just didn't understand. So he looked for looked at hundreds of girls. And finally, he called me and said, I can't find I can't find the girl I want. I want you, Cheryl. So come and talk to me. Would you come in and talk to me? So I sat across the desk from him in his office and he said, so what what is it? What's the I said, Aaron, what would I play? Nobody can go in there and try to be Farrah Fawcett or try to be new Farrah Fawcett what would I play? He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know what, if I could be funny. And he said, why couldn't you be funny? Oh, I said, oh, 
<laughs> I could be funny. All you have to do is ask. Yes. And then I said, and if like if I was a rookie and I'd make some mistakes, because this is America. We 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 pull for the underdog, the person that's trying really hard and and like that kind of character. We relate to that. And he said, I love that. That would that could work. I said, Really? And he said, and this is Aaron's absolute genius. He said, and what if you're Jill's little sister? You're already part of the family. And then I said, you have an actress. Nice. Now I knew who Chris Monroe was going to be and how to play something that wasn't trying to be Farah, other than the fact that Chris looked up to her big sister and thought she was wonderful. And I got to love her with everyone else. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But the media storm itself, you handled it okay? Or was it overwhelming? It was or? terribly overwhelming. I would think, I would think <laughs> I mean, it'd have to be. I, yeah. It, it's really interesting. Um, one day, you're not interesting. Nobody wants to interview you. Nobody cares anything much about you. And the next day, they want to know what you eat, how, what you wash your hair with. Every, I mean, everything about you becomes so interesting overnight. And I was still that same girl I was the day before when nobody cared. It's just a really interesting transition. And I and it became a little overwhelming. But I knew that it wouldn't last forever. I knew that the show wouldn't last forever. And um, I just embraced it with two hands and did the best job I knew how to do. And, uh, and now, uh, some 40 some years later, I see people all the time that want their picture taken with Chris Monroe and they want to do the Charlie's Angels pose. Men, <laughs> women, and children. That's great. Which is adorable. That's it's great. really fun. For you personally, looking back over that journey, because like you said, it's been 40-something 40, 40 years, to go from Josie and the Pussycats to Charlie's Angels to all those TV movies you did, yes. and now where you are now with everything you're involved with. Yeah. When you look back, what's your assessment of that journey? Um. I think you take life in on life's terms because you can have all the organization and ideas of what your life is going to be and how it's going to go. And, you know, and life laughs at you and says, no, not really. You're going to do this over here and then you're going to get this opportunity and then you're going to be in London working with Michael Caine. <gasps> One of the great, great moments of my life um, and and working with really wonderful actors. And, I, you know, I'm just very grateful. I'm I'm just really grateful that I've gotten to live my life and do the work and kind of work and, and use my artistic self and in so many different ways through music and dancing and Broadway and feature films and all of it. It's just been a joy. It's a joyful journey. I still love my craft. I take it seriously. I try to do it the very best I can and try to find some interesting people to play. And right now in my life, I'm finding some really interesting women to play, which is fabulous. I guess it worked out asking your parents for luggage, huh? Yep. Love that luggage. We hope you enjoyed this Date with an Angel. Please check out our other podcasts, Vampires and Slayers, the title of which says it all, and Voices from Krypton, devoted to the world of superheroes. And please subscribe to the TV Retrovision podcast. Tell your friends about us and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.